0: Welcome to the Hill City Church podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Well, good morning, Hill City. Good to see you today. If you are uh, if you are new to our church, if you've Kind of First time or first few times, we want to help you get connected. Our next step is always what we call Hill City 101. It happens every few weeks. I think there's one next weekend. Uh, during this hour, you can come and, and connect some of our pastors. We'll tell you about our church. We'll help you get connected. You can always sign up on our website or at the connections table on your way out. But that's your way to get connected to our church. And then if you are Hill City, if you're a covenant member, regular attender, last week we, uh, all of us that were here, gave commitment cards. We are trying to build a new building. Uh, and we want to start this fall, it's going to take every single one of us, every single one of us, to give above and beyond generously. If you were not here last week, you can get one of these cards, at a con- connections table, or go online. There's a QR code. You can put your commitments in. Here's, a, here's the deal, gal. It helps us as leaders. We have to go to a bank, and so we have, to t- we have to total all these commitment cards and go to a bank and say, listen, this is what our people have committed to give, and the bank will give us a construction loan so we can start the project. So if you have not done your commitment yet, please do so. Elders will be down here afterwards if you want to talk. If you have a million dollars and you're afraid to put it in the box because it might get lost, bring it to me and we will process that and start building a building right away. Um, Sound good? Great. Well, we are going to start a new series today. So generally at our church, we preach through books of the Bible. That's just what we generally do, and we like to bounce like Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, Every once in a while, we do some short series, and and we're going to start one for three weeks. And this is a series around the idea of forgiveness. And as I say the word forgiveness, immediately our brains are flooded with faces of people that have hurt us, of people that we have hurt, of people that annoy us. And the reality of forgiveness is something we must talk about. It's questions I get. So here's the reality of my job. Very, like, I meet with a lot of you during the week, just like pastoral meetings. And I don't know if I've ever had the following email. Hey, Hood, I got a raise and I want to meet with you and talk about how I can give more money to your church. Don't think I've ever had that. Because most of the meetings I have are heavy. (laughs) Fair? Uh, Most of you don't come to me with great news. Most of you come to me and our other pastors with, like, hey, here's what I'm working through. And to talk about forgiveness is to engage some of the stories and some of the things that you all are dealing with. This series came about, actually, by email I got back in January from one of you. Um, And here's, I'll just read the email, and I won't tell you who it's from. Um, It says, hello, Daniel. I don't know where to start because this feels awkward, so I'm just going to ask. What does forgiveness look like? I know that's a silly question that a Christian of 23 years could ask, but I honestly don't know. I'm not sure what you remember about my story, but I am divorced. My ex-husband cheated on me and hurt me many ways. It's been several years since we were divorced, and I am in EMDR therapy, it's counseling, working through the trauma, and finally... Uh, there's a major thing that I'm having issue processing through, and that's forgiveness. Here's what she says. I think it's because I don't want to forgive him for what he did. So I want to work through that, but I don't know what that looks like because I also need to be concerned with my own safety and not interact with him. But I don't know how to forgive him. Any direction or help you could offer would be wonderful. Forgiveness is one of those questions I get asked about a lot. What does it mean? What does it look like to forgive? And here's what I know as I look out in this audience, I know that there are stories out here. I know some of your stories. I know some of you have significant trauma in your life, that some of you have significant abuse, that some of you have experienced racial trauma, that some of you have been through a divorce or are currently in a rocky situation in marriage, that even today being Mother's Day, for some of you, the deepest pain you felt is from your mother or your father. To engage the reality of forgiveness and to engage it from a place of honesty is to engage the heart of God. T- to step into the reality of forgiveness is not this cute little, oh, I forgive you. It is this gut-wrenching, painful process of even opening your heart to forgiveness. And, and when we talk about forgiveness, we, we say things, and as I talk to people, here's the sentence, I could never forgive them. I can never forgive them for what they did. I can't do it. Yet, forgiveness in the Bible is not a request. It's a command. Even Jesus, when he was asked, how do we pray? Forgiveness was at the nature of his prayer. Here's what he says. Lord, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In Jesus' prayer is the assumption that we are people that need forgiveness and we are people that are in the process of forgiving others. It's at the heart of his prayer. But, but if we're honest, when we see true forgiveness or to even entertain the idea of forgiveness, it seems radical, doesn't it? Does, doesn't it seem radical? Uh, I was thinking, I was just, as I've been working on this series um, how radical forgiveness is. And even in the news. So back in 2007, some of you will remember this, uh, at a little Amish schoolhouse, a gunman who the Amish knew delivered milk to them, walked into an Amish schoolhouse, a one-room schoolhouse, and killed five girls. And then killed himself. And of course, the story broke national news. But what, what broke more news? was in the days following how that Amish community pursued the reality of forgiveness. And it shocked the national media. You can still look at some of the stories today of this, where this gunman that walked into this Amish schoolhouse and killed these little girls, some of the family members actually went to his funeral. And they raised money in their Amish community to help this man's wife and children. And and it shocked the national media. That forgiveness could look something like that. One of my friends, um, his wife was sexually assaulted by a serial rapist before he knew her. And the guy was caught and will never get out of prison because this has happened to many women. And so my friend marries this woman and he's trying to process through the reality of forgiveness and as he through the years process that, he felt led to go visit the man in jail and share the gospel with him. Doesn't that seem radical? Forgiveness is radical. It, it, it's, it's radical. See, what's interesting is when we see things like that, when we see stories like that play out, it just shocks us. Man, how could someone forgive that? Anyone? you think How? Yet, if we're honest, when we talk about the nature of God's forgiveness, it's just assumed. Of course God forgives. Think of how, uh, just flip it. Oh yeah, God forgave me. But then, let me ask you to forgive someone else. Oh, hood, I, I couldn't do that. No, no, you don't understand. Fair? Fair? If we are going to be people that have a heart for forgiveness, it will come only from the gospel. Because a heart to forgive is the result of a heart that's received forgiveness. Let me say that again. A heart to forgive, to, to a heart that has a posture of I want to be quick to forgive, I want to release that, comes from a heart that's actually received forgiveness. As we talk about forgiveness, here's my definition, and we'll use it all through this series, that forgiveness, number one, is to cancel a debt, and forgiveness is to do good. Cancel a debt and do good. Because there is a lot of false versions of forgiveness. Uh, You hear phrases like this, forgive and forget. That is false. Um, It's okay. No, it's not. Or forgiveness maybe for you is I'll just distance myself from relationship. I just won't talk to them. And I'm forgiving them because we're not fighting. There's a lot of false versions of, of forgiveness. But if we're going to be people who step into the reality of forgiveness, it will only come when we have a heart that has received forgiveness. So we, as a, as a church, have just walked through the, the letter to, of Paul to the Colossian church. Um, the Colossian letter is all about this reality of a new humanity that the Colossians framework is this that we as humans were part of the old humanity that's fallen this the seed of Adam this people who are in Adam and then when Christ came he ushered in this new humanity called the church and now we're called to be in Christ and so this new humanity is this shift in our thinking from living in Adam the way the world lives and the way the world goes for retribution and to pay back and to give what's given to you and to step into new humanity, the founder being Jesus who prayed for his executioner's father. Forgive them. They know not what they do. And the assumption of the gospel writers is in light of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension, that we are a people who are living in light of this new kingdom. And so we said in Colossians that this new kingdom creates new relationships that have a new style of relating to one another. That's what should be happening if you are a follower of Jesus. You're not in Adam. You're in Christ. That's a new identity that needs to new relationships. And if Hill City Church is going to be a church that makes a difference for the kingdom, it must be filled with people who have a heart for forgiveness. It must Because to be in a church is to have to engage the reality of forgiveness. At any given time in this room are people that have hurt one another. Uh, You want a relationship? You must engage the reality of forgiveness. You want marriage? (laughs) You must be a person that engages the reality of forgiveness. You, You want to join a city group? You must be someone that has a heart to forgive. Even me speaking up here, every week, six, seven, whatever, how many, 700 people, ever comes to our church, I know I offend some of you at times. I know I say things that some of you don't like. I know that sometimes I have opinions or I, I make illustrations or make references you don't agree with, and you must have a heart to forgive me, or you'll leave, and Brad the same way. And Sometimes I have really good sermons, you're all just like, me, And I need to forgive you. <laughs> we'll see how this day plays out, all right? At any given time, there's a hundred people that we must be engaging the reality of forgiveness. But we will never engage forgiveness until we understand that we have been forgiven. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go, go to Romans, because this is what we'll use, and I'm going to jump all over the place, and I'd love for you to have your phone out or your Bible, or whatever you, you use, the, and, and follow along with me, but we're going go to Romans chapter 12, and, and today I'm not going to use like one passage, I'm actually going to jump around a lot, so get your pens handy and take notes and follow along with me. Um, Romans, if you ever try to read Romans, Romans is a thick book, theological book, but you've got to understand this. Romans isn't primarily a the- theological textbook. It's a, it's a pastoral letter that Paul spends 11 chapters lining out the reality of the gospel to then get to the meat of his letter, which is what he wants to share with the people on how to live in light of that. And, and so um, we're going to walk through kind of his step-by-step argument in Romans. We're actually going to start near the end. And I didn't have this on my notes till this morning. It was just so Beautiful, I had to put it in here. We're going to read it. Romans chapter 12. It's going to start in verse 9. And as I read this, guys, this is the heart of what we want Hill City to look like. This is the heart of what we want your city group to look like. Your friendships, your marriage, your family to look like. And it's only going to come when you know the gospel. We're going to look at it first. Romans 12, 9. I'm just going to read it and then we'll move on. contribute, give to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Man, listen to these words. Tell me this is not the relationships that, you, that we all just deeply long for. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight and repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Is that not the relationships you want? Oh, doesn't that sound great? How do we get there? We know the gospel. We know what we've been forgiven. And so let's walk back through and let's see what leads Paul in Romans to say this like beautiful little paragraph of what church relationships should look like, what all relationships should look like, but it will only come when we know our debt. Because the reality of forgiveness, to have a heart to forgive comes from a heart that has received forgiveness. And the gospel must be your motivation. So here's how your Bible starts. In the beginning there was God. And God creates humanity. And in Genesis 2.15, God tells us why he created humanity. Here's what it says, Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Here's the man's purpose, to work it and keep it. So you can think of creation as God forming a partnership with man, with humanity, to bring flourishing to the world that he created. That's man's purpose. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, "You can eat of every tree in the garden, all of it it's yours. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall die." So here's here's God's gift to humanity. Hey, this creation's yours. Partner with me and bring in bringing flourishing to this creation. All of it's yours. There's one tree, it's the knowledge of good and evil, and don't eat it because when you eat of that and you have the knowledge of evil, that this will all come on you at once and you will choose evil and you will bring ruin to our world. And he says, you'll die if that happens. So there's this assumption that there's knowledge of what's good and what's evil and that God's plan is to reveal that to humans and God's timing. You, You following with me? That's the assumption, that God will reveal what's good and evil and for humans to trust him and to say you don't want to take that for yourself. And if you do, it will cause death. Death will come. So, human's choice, do they trust God? Now, evil comes along in Genesis 3:4 and the serpent says, "You will not die." So, humans have a choice. Do we trust our creator that said, "Join in partnership with me and I will reveal to you what's good and evil?" Or do we trust evil that says, no, 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 you will not die. Actually, God knows you'll be just like him. So humans must decide who is trustworthy. And they make a choice. What do they choose? Evil. And when that happens, humans bring, in God's perfect creation, that, that's, they're meant to bring flourishing, <clears throat> now they bring harm, they bring death. They bring suffering. They usher in the reign of sin and death. It's mutiny. It's rebellion against God. It's not just they ate an apple and they weren't supposed to, it is they are choosing a life different than what their author, their creator, has chosen for them. And so God announces his judgment on them and he says, You're cursed because of this. You've brought sin and brokenness in the world. And now the writer of Romans, Paul, is going to pick up this story. So go in Romans, Romans 3.23. And some of you good Bible school kids, you, you know the Romans road. We're going to walk that road a little bit here. So this understanding that we're created for partnership with God, that humans rebelled, that, that now they have brought a curse on, and God's promise is if you eat of the tree, you will, help me, die. That's God's promise. So now the writer of Romans, Paul, comes in, Romans 3.23, and says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here is the reality. Because of the fall, because of humans' rebellion, and now for us, our participation in it, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now this is, this is key because I've read this past tense. All have sinned, and here's how I've read it, and fallen short of the glory of God. Is that what it says? All have sinned, past tense, and fall, present tense, short of the glory of God. You owe a debt. Because of sin, because of your own sin, You and I owe a debt. Now, what's the debt? Okay, let's keep going in Romans. We'll walk the Romans road here, 623. For the wages of sin, or the result of sin, is death. God said, if you eat of the tree, you will die. The wages, the result of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So because of our sin... The debt we owe is death. You owe a debt to God, and that debt is your very life. You deserve to die. It's what God said from the beginning. If you eat a tree, you will die. The debt you owe is the debt of your very life. You cannot repay it. It would cost you your life. The writer of Hebrews would say it like this. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. If you want to pay your debt, you must die. Now, Romans 5. This is uh, 5.6. While we were still weak while we're still in our rebellion. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse eight, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You owe a debt, that debt cost you your life, and while you owed that debt, God sent Jesus himself in the flesh, took on flesh, and died the death you deserve. Jesus was your substitute. Anyone watch The Passion of the Christ? You know who deserved that beating? Me. You you know who deserved the nails? Me. You. That's the debt we owed. Death. But Romans 5, 6 says, while we were weak at the right time, Christ died. God showed his love for it While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Another place it will say this, he who knew no sin, Jesus, perfect. Jesus did not owe God a debt. It's it's key. If Jesus was a sinner, he owed a debt too. Jesus didn't owe a debt. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became your sin. He became it. He who knew no sin became sin, so that we who knew sin, sin might become the righteousness of God. It was a substitute. Theologians call it the great exchange. Jesus exchanged your sin and gave you his righteousness. When did he do it? When you cleaned yourself up? When, when you said, You know what, God, I owe you a debt and I am sorry. Okay, Danny. No. While you're at your worst. What's your worst moment? You got it? When he died for you. That's when he died for you. While you were at your worst, Christ died for you. So you got to answer me here. Between you and God, who was the offended party? You or God? Come on now. This is a good sermon. I'm going to have to forgive you. Okay. Between you and God, who was the offended party? God. Who made the first move? That's how radical forgiveness is. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. It's not saying it's okay. God never said "Uh, it's okay. No. He tells the truth. It cost death and it cost him his very life. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. Uh, Let's go back to Romans 3.23, because we all know that verse. We always forget the next part, which is the best news. So Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then verse 24 says, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, Jesus, as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. Okay, there's a lot here. There's two big words we've got to key on. So remember, forgiveness is canceling a debt. So here's what it says. Um, all have sinned. You have sinned to fall short of the glory of God. You owe your life. And you are justified. Okay, that word justified is a legal term. Here's what justified means. When a judge takes his gavel and goes, not guilty. That's what justified means. Your debt has been canceled in Christ. He has canceled your debt and declared you not guilty. And then verse 25, he says, in doing this, he didn't do it from afar. He did it by sending his son as a propitiation by his blood. Okay, this is a big word, propitiation. but It's a beautiful word. So we we sing songs about how you wipe my sins away. And we can have this image. So, so here's my metaphor I've used before. Let's say I have a cup of coffee and I spill it up here. And I can, like, wipe the sins away, which, which is, is good. I, I've wiped the sins. But here's what propitiation means. It's like I have a sponge. It's like I squeeze that sponge and I put it in the middle of that coffee and I let it go and that coffee soaks up. Or, I'm not, sorry, the sponge soaks up the coffee. That's Propitiation. Jesus didn't cancel your debt. He absorbed your debt into himself. That's why he screamed out, Why, Father, have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Because Jesus absorbed your sin. God canceled your debt because you could not pay it back. If you had a thousand lifetimes, you could not pay back your debt. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. That so much, Romans 8.1, here's his conclusion. Because of this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation has remained? Because that's canceling a debt. It's canceling a debt. So, I have a debt. It cost me my life. Jesus came down and took my sin upon himself absorbed it became a propitiation and because of that God can look at me and say not guilty there is now for no condemnation for you the bible tells the truth God doesn't say Daniel it's okay I I know temptation is hard it's okay he doesn't say that Uh, do you know that the bible what it says about you it tells the truth um The Bible says you have a debt that you can't repay. Jesus himself called you an adulterer and a murderer. Do you know that? He said this. Hey, if you lost, you've committed adultery. So everyone in the room goes, check. Um, If you've hated someone, you've committed murder. Welcome to Hill City, you adulterers and murderers. The Bible tells the truth. The nature of forgiveness is to tell the truth. But the Bible tells the truth that that debt you owe has been canceled and you are now God's beloved. It's doing good. So forgiveness is the offended party pursuing the offender and canceling a debt and being committed to good. Uh, Christian psychologist Dan Allender wrote a book called Bold Love. It's on forgiveness. I'd recommend you all read it. Here's what he says about, about this reality. He says, forgiving love is the inconceivable, unexplainable pursuit of the offended by the offend sorry, of the offender by the offended. Let me say that again because I messed it up. Forgiving love is the inconceivable, unexplainable pursuit of the offender by the offended for the sake of restored relationship with God, self, and others. Forgiveness is radical. Your forgiveness is radical. It's scandalous, the debt that you owe and that God has canceled it. And you will never have a heart to forgive until you realize the debt that you have been forgiven. And not only does God, can't, this is so huge, God doesn't just cancel your debt and say, okay, listen, I've canceled your debt, but you sit here and think about what you've done. I'm going to remind you, remember that, I'm going to hold it over your head. No, because that's, forgiveness is canceling a debt. Here's the second part of forgiveness, doing good. Romans 5, 9, this is so good. Since, therefore... We have now been justified by his blood, debts canceled. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of Jesus, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice that through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Here's what the writer is saying if while you are an enemy, Christ died for you and forgave you, now that you're a child of his, how much more is he committed to your good? We have a good father that is committed to your good, that delights in you as a son and a daughter. Forgiveness is canceling a debt and it is doing good. What if we all just like breathe in the reality of the debt that's been canceled? Do you know your debt? Because we can pass a mic around and start right down the front, and we can all stand up and share the debt that we owe. Do you know your debt? What a good God that that debt has been canceled. And he doesn't hold it over. Hey, remember, remember. Now, evil does. He doesn't. So before we ever engage a conversation about forgiving others, which we will do over the next two weeks, and I'll try to make it as practical as I can, before we ever engage that, we must know our debt because a heart to forgive is the result of a heart that's received forgiveness. To the degree that you know that you have been forgiven is the degree that you will begin to pursue forgiveness. And please hear me. I don't talk about forgiveness in this flip it like, oh, just forgive them. Forgiveness is a fight. Forgiveness is tears. Forgiveness is pain. It's crying out. It's saying, God, I want to hold this over them, and I want to hate them so bad, but you did not hold it over me, and God, I will begin to process through. When someone tells me, oh, I've forgiven them, uh-uh, I, call, I call bull. You're learning to forgive. You're processing through forgiveness. It's not as easy as we want to make it sound. Now, false forgiveness is, we'll talk on that next week. To the degree you know you have been forgiven is to the degree you will begin to step into forgiveness. I want to read two stories of Jesus here, and then we'll be done. Luke chapter 7. Would you, would you turn there? Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 40. So if you know the story, Jesus is the home of, uh, of a high-ranking Pharisee named Simon. Pharisee is like a religious leader. And he's eating dinner there. And and in the middle of the dinner, in comes a woman who is called a woman of the city. You kind of know, got it in your mind what her job is? Woman of the city. And she comes in and she pours perfume over Jesus' feet and her tears wipe with her hair. You guys remember the story? And Simon the Pharisee um, knows who she is and he makes this, this kind of statement either to himself or out loud that says, well, if, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he would not be okay with this. And we pick up the story, verse 40 of Luke chapter 7. And Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, when Jesus says that, it's never going to be good. all right? And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, so let's just say $500, let's keep it simple, and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. So one owes 500, one owes 50, the debtor canceled the debt. He says, now which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose to whom the bigger debt is canceled. And he said to them, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you, you see this woman? Simon, I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased kissing my feet. Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, Jesus tells the truth, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Or, in other words, the person that knows their debt will love much. And the person who thinks they don't have a debt will not love. You will never truly love unless you engage forgiveness, and you will not engage forgiveness unless you have a heart that knows what you have been forgiven. Can you take in the reality of your debt? Listen, I love you. You're great people. But if you get what you deserve, you get hell. It's reality. If I get what I deserve, I get hell. Yet, God doesn't give me what I deserve, He cancels my debt, is committed to my good. And then invites me in my relationships now to live in light of that. The one who is forgiven little will love little and will forgive little. The one who is forgiven much will love much and forgive much. The New Testament writers, read your Bible, are committed to the reality of forgiveness. Because to engage in relationship is to engage forgiveness. Young people up here, you don't want to engage forgiveness, don't ever get married. You don't want to engage forgiveness, church, don't you dare join a ministry team here. You you don't want to engage forgiveness, don't have any relationships. To engage in relationship is forgiveness. Uh, Parents, you don't want to engage forgiveness, don't have kids. Because you're jacking up your kids in some way. Emily and I know that our kids will need therapy for something. I'm glad that some of you are going to school for therapy. In 20 years, you can work with our kids. It's the re- it's, and I say that, jo- it's the reality of, of her humanity, is it not? So even for me, uh, if you were here earlier in the service, get, Brad lined up all the people for Hills, Hill City Institute. Um, I, right before they came out last hour, walked up to all of them and said, will you please forgive me? And here's why. I was supposed to teach at Hill City Institute yesterday morning. And I woke up excited. I even told Emily, man, I'm so glad we have nothing today. And I got up and I, I made a nice Ethiopian coffee pour over. I cooked a big breakfast. And we're sitting there, and my phone's in my room. I'm just chilling on a Saturday. And I finally go to my phone, and there's like a bunch of text messages Brad saying, Where are you? I forgot. But I had a great breakfast, <laughs> it was good. I I called Brad yesterday. I'm like, oh my gosh, Brad. And by this time, they're done. I'm like, I'm sorry. And he said, yeah, it's okay. And I said, no, it's not okay. I left you hanging, but will you forgive me? Yes. God tells the truth. Your sin's not okay. And what the person did to you is not okay. And what you did to other people, it's not okay. But the nature of Forgiveness is to cancel a debt and say, I will not use the harm that you have done me to hold over you and justify my future harm of you. Let me say it another way. I will not use your harm of me to justify why I talk about you behind your back. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. Last passage and then we're going to sing and receive communion. We've got to read this. Matthew 18 verse 23. Because some of us still aren't convinced. I don't know, Hood. I cannot forgive what that person did. I just can't do it. I'm not even willing to engage the conversation. I don't say this to, like, threaten what Jesus said. I'm not going to apologize for what Jesus said. Matthew 18, verse 23. Every single one of us need to hear this. Matthew 18, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to who owed him $10,000. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children all that he had and payment to be made. Remember, your debt cost your life. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. Now to pity for him, the master... Sorry, I lost my place. What verse am I on? Help me. Oh, 27. Okay, I pity for him. The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his other servants who owed him $500 or $100. And he seized him, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant came down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he refused and he went and put him in prison and he, until he could pay the redebt. Well, when the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. And the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and you should not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you. In his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay his debt, which was his life. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. God is serious about forgiveness because forgiveness preaches a story of redemption. It's not cute, it's messy, it's painful. It's letting go in a way that almost feels like death, if we're honest. And forgiveness is not free, it costs Jesus everything. And hear me, God will never ask you to release a debt over someone that's bigger than the debt that has been released over you. Hood, you don't know what they did to me, you're right. Do you know your debt? Because you will never be asked to release a debt that's bigger than the debt you have been released of. We'll try to get practical over the next couple of weeks. What does it look like to release that debt? Because it's not just, oh, I forgive you. It, it's not that. We'll, we will wrestle through it together. We're going to receive communion. Um, guys, forgiveness is the heart of communion you are invited to communion with God because your debt has been canceled. Do you you realize the picture that we do at communion? You're invited to relationship with God because your debt has been canceled. And then the idea is that as we as a community receive communion together, that we are forgiving one another as God has forgiven us. Because here's the reality, if I don't have a heart to that, I can't have a relationship with either one, any of these people up here. I can't have a relationship with any one of them if I am not a person that knows my debt has been canceled and then has a heart to release and forgive a debt. So as you come down and and you receive the, the bread and the wine, would you know that your debt has been canceled by the blood of Jesus? And may your motivation be as you receive it, now Jesus, as you have done for me, so now may I do for one another. And may Hill City be a place that's putting the gospel on display. Let's pray together.